Welcome to my MACD life, empowered by the Support Sight Foundation. This podcast is about macular degeneration and the devastating impact it has on millions of people and their families every single day, 365 days a year. Our mission is simple, to bring hope, optimism, perspective, and education to our listeners. So tune in, buckle up, and put your listening ears on. Here are your hosts, Don Prawl and Sean Doyle. Hello, everyone, and welcome to my MACD Life. I'm your co-host, Sean Doyle, professional speaker, trainer, and book author. And I'm here today with my co-host, the lovely and talented, the amazing, the incredible, the irreplaceable, Don Prawl, the founder and executive director of the Support Site Foundation and a visionary. Hey, Don. Hey, Sean. How are you? Great. Great. Hi, everyone. We're happy you've joined us. We're excited to bring you some great information, education, and inspiration. We really want to make a difference in the life of people who are suffering with MACD, and we call it My MACD Life. And Don, one other thing. What's that, Sean? We're We're going going to have have fun. fun. (laughs) (laughs) So, oh my gosh, on today's show, we have such exciting guests. We've got Dr. Timothy Murray, who's a leading retina specialist. And how often do you get a chance to actually talk to the doctor? He's going to give a lot of great information about the disease of MACD. Plus, he's also going to give people some tips about things like, what are three things you should ask your doctor? And I think that's so important. So that's really exciting. Absolutely. People love to hear from their doctor. I mean, we all know the average patient spends like six minutes with their doctor. And they have a lot of questions. Yep. So this is awesome. I can't wait for folks to tune into it. We also have some ideas about maintaining independence with MACD. We have some great stuff from Vespero. We're going to talk about some of the incredible assistive technology that they have to make your life easier and better. And I think, Don, along the way, we're going to have some fun, too. Absolutely, Sean. It's going to be a great show. So let's get rolling. Don't go away, folks. Well, it's the Don and Sean show. And Don, you know, something I was really thinking about this week. Do you know what it was? No. Tell us, Sean. Well, it's something I think that you can really dig your teeth into and something I think you will find very interesting. And we can really, gosh, we could probably talk for two days about this. How does someone maintain hope when they have MACD? How does how do families maintain hope when their family members have MACD? So what are your thoughts about that? I got a lot of thoughts about it, but I was just wondering, you know, being in this space for so long, what what are your thoughts about how does somebody maintain hope when they have macular degeneration? Hmm. Interesting one, huh? Yeah, I think it's this is a constant thread. Um, you know, living with a disease that robs you of your precious sight. Every day. Every day. Right. You get up in the morning and you're like, you can't just go, oh, I, that was yesterday. It's like it's Monday, it's Tuesday, it's Wednesday, it's 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 daily. And every task that you do, you're reminded of this disease. So it's just, you know, people listening out there, what, what do you think they can do to maintain hope or build hope or increase hope? Well, first of all, I think you have to have it first. You know, in order to maintain something, you have to have it first. And in, it's not easy. Um, no, I know no if, not at all. In the years that I've been doing this and interacting with thousands of people across the country mm-hmm. who either suffer from macular degeneration or I should say live with it. Yeah. Uh, and or their family or caregivers who are, you know, it affects the entire 
entire family and, and your whole, your life really. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So hope is about, you know, this is what I kind of surmise from the conversations I've had over the years. It's about the future hope there are new treatments and eventually a cure, which of course, because of the support yeah. foundation, we're focused yeah. on that. It's almost uh, like there's a horizon out there that you can look out there and say, Oh, look, look what's coming. You know, there's, there's a, there's a ship or there's the sun coming up or something, but it's actually coming towards you. It's like, Oh, there's the, a bright horizon kind of like that. Yeah. But I think even more specific, Sean, I think there's that mm-hmm type of hope, but there's also the hope that's that's embedded in the data and the information and mm. the research. You know, there are a lot of really brilliant vision scientists out there, brilliant researchers who are also working every day relentlessly to discover, uh, you know, new treatments, cures, or eye care, I should say, um, new medications. You know, I always say research makes medicine. Hmm. Yeah. You know what I love about that, Don? I love the fact that, you know, when we talk about hope being on the horizon, that's more of a general or generic. You're like, no, let's get specific. This is about research. This is about data. It's about something that's real, that's really coming, not just, gee, I hope one day that, you know, the sun will come up and ta-da, you have a miracle. But I love the fact that you're talking about having hope because of data and research, not just kind of generic hope. That's right. You and in, I mean? with macular, sure I do. With macular degeneration, we've come so far in just a matter of, say, 30, 35 years from our very basic understanding, even acknowledgement of the disease. You know, mm. a lot of people say, well, you know, my, I don't know that my mother or father had it. Well, I, sometimes I say to them, they might have, they might have had macular degeneration, but they didn't know it because very little was known mm. about the disease. And it, quite frankly, it was not really identified until the last three decades or so. So because of the work of the Support Site Foundation and others, you know, science has, and we're all about science these days, as you know, with what's going on in the world. Science is real. And the process of discovery has happened. There's a lot more that we know about what the disease is. There's a lot more we know about what causes it. There's a lot more we know about how it acts in the Mm. body. Um, So all of those things add up over time to, you know, discoveries. So for example, you know, Sean, you know, wet macular degeneration, which is what 15 to 20% of people have, there are treatments for that. It's called Mm. anti-VEGF. And those treatments have been around for about 18, 20 years, and they keep the advances keep happening. And more and more treatments are on the market now to help people. So I'm no doctor, but I can tell you. But that, you play one on TV, though. But I play one on the radio. That's right, or TV or a <laughs> podcast or whatever. <laughs> but I can tell you that that's where the hope lies to circle back to what your original thought was for today that there's a lot of hope people can put in exactly what I just outlined. So when, when our listeners get up in the morning and they wake up facing this, this disease, one reason they can have hope is there are very real research and data coming down the pipeline where there will be real treatments and real hope for people to deal with this disease. 
Is yeah, that, well, it's, it's already there. Yeah, it's already there. Yeah, it's already there. It's already there, and it's just going to get better. There's a lot more emphasis on research and discovery in with dry macular degeneration, which is what 80 to 85% of people have. Right now, there's really nothing uh, from a medical kind of medicine standpoint that people can do that's you know it's it's the vitamins it's eating right it's healthy lifestyle you know it's environmental um, it's not smoking things like that but i will tell you there's a lot on the horizon clinical trials are important of course with any research so that it comes from you know and maybe we can talk about this in another episode but you know, there is such a thing as bench to bed, and that's a research hmm. term for how science starts out, which is the bench, and then once it reaches the patient and actually does good for people. So that's what I say about hope. So I love the fact that there's realistic reason to be hopeful uh, as it relates to MACD, not just kind of theoretical pie in the sky, but, but that's great news. So we bring you great news today. There is hope. There is a future. There is data. There is research. There is hope for a cure. So just something I was ruminating on today. Good stuff, Don. Good thoughts, Sean. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Dr. Murray, thanks for being on the My Mac D Life show and welcome to the show. Sean, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. We're really honored, you know, because we saved the first guest for best. So thanks for being on the show. I love that thought. So it's a pleasure to be your inaugural guest. Absolutely. So let's kind of start out at the beginning. Why don't we tell everybody a little bit about the American Society of Retina Specialists? Tell people kind of what's that all about? So the American Society of Retina Specialists is an organization that includes virtually every retina specialist in the United States, Wow! but also has an international presence. So we have members, I think, in about 50 other countries. But what's exciting for me is everybody in the U.S. is pretty much a member of this society. That's fantastic. And I'm also curious to know, and I'm, I'm always curious about this thought, about your path. You know, what led you to being a retina specialist? Why did you pick eyes, for example? Yeah, so I think that's always interesting, and we all have different stories. I was fascinated by medicine when I was younger, and we're talking oh. 13 and 14. I went to my father was a military pilot. And he passed away when I was younger. My mom remarried another military pilot. So I ended up in Okinawa, Japan for high school. Wow. And I knew I wanted to go to medical school, but I wasn't sure if anybody had gone to medical school from Japan before. So um, I applied and I got into Hopkins. Johns Hopkins at that time had a program that lets you go to medical school and college together. And wow. it allowed you to shorten the time. So I did that. And in my first year that I was in that program, I spent some time at the Wilmer Eye Institute at Johns Hopkins, mm -hmm. and it was it for me. So I love surgery. In the microsurgery for a retina specialist, I think is probably the most fascinating microsurgery that anyone does. Mm -hmm. But it's not just that. It allows you to take care of premature infants who have blinding eye disease and take care of people oh, that my. are 110 years old. And it's men and women and boys and girls, and it's a little bit of medicine. And there's a lot of technology in retina, especially it has blossomed over the last 10 years. I think it's an incredible field to be in. I don't think there's any other field in medicine quite like retina for the retina specialist. Sounds like you have quite the passion for it. And when you were that young teenager, 13, 14, 
Why the passion for being in medicine? Was there any particular event that kind of triggered that for you? So like a lot of people that go into medicine, I had an experience in medicine where there was some significant illness in the family and I got to see bad medicine and I got to see wonderful medicine. And it kind of drove me to say that I want to be that wonderful doctor. And I think that that's that's it. No one in my family had ever been in medical school. In fact, until my parents, nobody had graduated from college. So this was a big step. And it's kind of funny when I was in Okinawa and I applied to medical school, my mom really wanted me to go to Harvard. So I I don't think anybody knows the story, but I told her that I wanted to go to Hopkins. And it was this back and forth. Lo and behold, my mom applied to Harvard for me without telling me which was kind of humorous. So um, I think I'm one of the few people that got a Harvard interview and said, no, thank you, because I got into (laughs) Hopkins early. So it was kind of fun. Well, congratulations. And it must be very rewarding to see the impact you're having on so many lives. You know, what I love about this is that you impact lives daily. So the two things that I do, I'm a retina specialist, but I also do eye cancer treatments. Mm. And I think the two things that we fear the most, based on some of the studies that have come out, is we fear going blind, and we fear dying from cancer. So I get to live in that space, and it sounds like it would be a bad space to live in, but because our treatments are so amazing, it's incredible. So I can know that we change lives for our patients on a daily basis. So that's incredible. That's fantastic. So for the people listening to this podcast, they hear this term macular degeneration. So how would you describe to a layperson What is macular degeneration? That's a great question. So first of all, the macula is the area that we do all of our fine vision work with. That's where we see color. That's where you read that really tiny print, you know, on on the newspaper. That's why you read the street signs on the highway as you're driving at night. So that's all the macula. And it's a pretty uniquely small part of the retina. And the retina is the tissue in the back of the eye. Since we're a little bit of an older group, we can say much like the film in a camera. The, the younger people don't get it because they got digital cameras, but us older people know that if you had bad film in your camera, you had bad pictures. And that's exactly what this is like. So the retina is like film in the camera, and it is incredibly thin. So it's kind of like a butterfly's wing. So when we talk about some of the surgeries we do, that's how delicate that is. But that's the area that has those rods and cones that take the light coming into our eyes that's focused And they break it into electrical impulses that go to our brain that we can see with. So if the retina doesn't work, nothing works. So that is like the key to vision for us. If the retina doesn't work, everything else doesn't matter. So macular degeneration, as you can imagine, is degeneration of that special part of the retina called the macula. It used to be called senile macular degeneration when I started. And we, we didn't like that because none of our people were really senile, but they meant to be an older disease. And this used to be rare because when we go back in, in generations, we didn't live that long. So people didn't live long enough to get really bad macular degeneration. So this is a disease that starts in your sixth and seventh decade, and it can increase over time. I hated macular degeneration when I started what we call age-related macular degeneration because even in the early 90s, there was no treatment for the blinding type of macular degeneration. But what's changed in the last decade is that we have tools now where I can look at your macula 
as if it's under a microscope in the laboratory with the precision to see your blood vessels and almost even the small rods and cone cells for vision. So that technology, you just sit in my office, we take a special type of picture called an optical coherence tomogram, and we can look at it. But it doesn't matter if you can take pictures of things if you don't have anything to do when there's a problem. So macular degeneration really occurs when abnormal blood vessels grow underneath the retina. And the problem with abnormal blood vessels is they can leak. They can leak fluid. And if the holes in the blood vessels are large enough, they can leak blood. And fluid and blood change your vision and can blind you. So what really happened that was remarkable is we developed an ability to treat the leaking of those new blood vessels. And that's an amazing story on its own, Sean, because the doctor that developed this treatment out of Boston was trying to cure cancer. And cancer develops these abnormal new blood vessels. And he was like, we're going to close the blood vessels. We're not going to use chemotherapy. We're going to just target the blood vessels. And he developed something that's called anti-VEGF, which is anti-vascular endothelial growth factor, which is a big name to say that there is a molecule that binds inside of the eye and allows those abnormal blood vessels to stabilize so they don't leak and they don't bleed. And if they don't leak and they don't bleed, Sean, you don't lose your vision. So it's amazing. That is incredible. And so would we say that's, you know, for the layperson, would we say that's what causes macular degeneration is what you just described? Right. So the cause of macular degeneration is aging within the eye tissues that are predisposed to degeneration. And the predisposition, what makes us at risk for that, there's these little small dots in underneath the retina called drusen. If you don't have drusen, you don't get age-related macular degeneration. Hmm. The problem is many of us do have drusen, and drusen may or may not lead to this wet or, or neovascular macular degeneration. And we call it wet macular degeneration, Sean, because it leaks. And I you're see. absolutely right. So that VEGF, the vascular endothelial growth factor, that's what's stimulating the new blood vessels to grow and leak. So this molecule blocks that because it's an anti-VEGF, and there you go. The biggest problem we've seen with that is trying to identify who's at risk and who's not. So one of the things we know is that if you have an exam early, say in your late 40s, you know, even though you may not have the wet macular degeneration, we can look for the drusen. And if you have the drusen, we can say, hey, Sean, you've got drusen. Maybe you should come in every six months. And here's a test you can do at home to follow your vision every day. And then we can look at you and say, maybe there's some risk factors that you should think about taking care of. So one thing we know is the biggest risk for this is smoking. So we know smoking is bad for cancer. It's bad for your heart. It's bad for stroke. But it actually is the single greatest risk for wet macular degeneration. So it's, it's wow. easy. Yeah, it's a, that's a wow moment. But Sean, like everything else, it's easy to say you should quit. It's hard to do. Yeah. And it, it's amazing how many different medical conditions are caused by smoking. We always hear the typical ones, but just amazing how many others there are that are either related directly or indirectly. That's fascinating. So at our SSF, we're really about being the champion of the patient. So, you know, from where you're sitting, what do you recommend to patients about how they need to talk to the retina specialist about their disease? Because I'm sure there's days you go, boy, I just wish patients would talk about this or ask me this. 
Right. What would be your recommendation, Dr. Murray? Well, first of all, I'd love my patients to know what a retina specialist is because mm-hmm. most of us don't even know. And a lot of us confuse an ophthalmologist who's a medical doctor from an optometrist that has not gone to medical school. There are wonderful optometrists and there are wonderful ophthalmologists. But when you're getting to the macula and we're talking about this, to me, you want a retina specialist. And so I'd rather have a patient in my office that doesn't need me than a patient that doesn't get to my office that does. And so that brings us back to one of the things I like about the American Society of Retina Specialists is no matter where you live in the U.S., you can go to our site, ASRS.org, you know, forward slash patients. You can say there's a little bar that says find my retina specialist. Ah. And what it will let you do is you can put your city You can put your zip code or you can put a doctor's name that you know in and it will give you that person's contact information. What a great idea. It is a it is a great idea. And and it's, you know, one of the I think what we're looking at with the SRS and a big thing for me is giving back to our patients, just like you want to be patient focused. So do I. So I want patients to know what a retina specialist is and why you should see them. What should drive you to ask to see a retina specialist? And then once you've got to my office, I think it's pretty easy, but you're absolutely right, Sean. You want to know what to ask. So I tell my patients the first visit almost always is overwhelming. But very, I, I would think it'd be very overwhelming. Right. But the good thing about retina specialty or the bad thing for the patient sometimes is you get to come back and see me again. And sometimes again and again and again. So I say, look, the next time you come back in, make sure you write all your questions out. Hmm. I will never let you leave without me answering every one of your questions. And and that's really important because, Sean, you go into that doctor's office and they tell you this or that or the other. And you can just lose total track of what you had planned to say or ask or do. So you might get nervous or anxious or confused. And that's why, and Sean, that's why bringing, you know, it's a little crazy with the, with this COVID-19 pandemic, but it's good to have somebody with you because you want somebody to hear what you're being told that can come back and remind you, you know, you heard this, I heard this. Like a second set of ears. A second set of ears and a focused idea of what's going on. And you should never leave the doctor's office without understanding a few basic things. What's my diagnosis? What is my treatment plan? What do I need to do to make myself healthier? And when do I need to come back and see you again? And I tell my patients, never leave without making your follow-up appointment. Because I think it's, that's a great idea. It's so easy to forget to do that. Yeah. And then when you call in, the, the doctor's office is like, we've got an appointment in six months. And you're like, no, I need to see him in six days. And the other thing is you need to find a doctor whose office is available to you. So if you call the doctor's office and no one speaks to you, that's not that's not cool. So I think that's important. And then also, Sean, this is a condition that runs in families. So. Oh, that's interesting. So if your parents or one of your siblings had macular degeneration, you have a significantly higher risk. And we think it's from the genetics of the disease. But what we also realize is that it's complex genetics. So people have done some genetic testing, and this is not a simple disease. So it's not like, you know, where breast cancer has those BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes that you can go and get a blood test for. That doesn't work for macular degeneration yet, but it probably will at some point in the future. So as far as MACD, as we like to call it, of course, we know that it's actually AMD, but you know, we, we kind of have a simple term to describe right. it. 
it affects millions of people, all the people listening. So if you had to give three tips for those who are have it or are newly diagnosed with having it, you know, if I, if I stopped you on the street and said, okay, doctor, what's your three biggest tips for that newly diagnosed or people that already have it? What would you recommend? What's your three big tips? So my three big tips are understand the condition that you have and what okay. your role is in that condition. So I think that the, the, the problem with MACD, as we say, is that when it becomes this abnormal wet MACD, that's the type we worry about. And you have to be really active to make sure you're getting into your doctor's office to the retina specialist's office to be treated. And you also have to understand that your vision should be good. If you cover each eye and one of the eyes doesn't have good vision, you need to understand why. Okay. The other thing we talk about, we've mentioned smoking and being healthy. We've, we've mentioned the fact that, you know, you have to monitor the vision for changes and you have to be committed to being engaged in this treatment. So I think that um, that the biggest thing is to know what to look for, who you need to see, and what your plan is to get good care. So people that walk in and say, you know, I need to understand my disease so I can take care of myself with you, Dr. Murray, those are the patients that do the best. I'll yeah. take care of anybody, but you have to get you have to get back and you have to be engaged. I've always thought that the the relationship should be a proactive and it should be a relationship between the doctor and the patient. And if both of you are working together, you're going to get a lot better results than if someone is passive and less engaged in their own health. So that's a great example. So, you know, here on the MACD Life, we're always about giving people hope. So I want you to look in your crystal ball, if you have one on your desk there. And I'm just wondering, are there any new treatments down the road in the pipeline that can really give people hope for either a cure or some significant improvement in terms of treatment or medication? So the first thing, Sean, is to realize that the reason I used to hate MACD is everybody would with wet MACD went blind. You you oh. went, you, went, you were blind. Wow. That, that doesn't happen anymore. Well, that's great news. So if you come into my office and your vision is 2020 and you've got wet MACD, you're going to be able to read and drive with that eye for the rest of your life as long as you keep in touch with me. Well, that's, that's great news. amazingly hopeful, okay? From blindness to reading, driving vision. And remember, the, we want our independence. We want to be able to read. We want to see our grandchildren. We want to drive our car. We want to be able to shop. You can't do any of that without good sight. So this is one of those things that I think is so critical. The second question you've asked is, is really fascinating. So how far we've come in 10 years is amazing, but where we're going to go in the next 10 years, I think is going to be even more so. And why I think that is, is we're the way we treat MACD now, which sounds awful, but is not, is we give you an injection into the eye that puts the medicine right near the retina. That is amazing. And it sounds awful, but it's really, it's really not. Well, if it gets great results, it gets great results. So it's worth it to do it. Having said that, you have to come back. You have to be re-injected. It it has a lot of burden for the patient and their family and even for their doctors. So the future already has occurred in that there is the first example of a device that may allow you to get injected once every six months. Mm. That device, the problem with it is you have to put it in in the operating room. But once it's in, it's great. 
But the question is, who should get it and who shouldn't? But that's one advance where you go from injecting every maybe six weeks to every six months. That's a huge difference. Correct. And then the second thing that's amazing is, is that we're looking at some of these gene therapies where we can inject a modified gene into your eye that can make the anti-VEGF in your eye. So your eye can become a factory to make the medicine. So once I've treated you, maybe I don't need to treat you ever again. That's, that's phenomenally exciting. And it looks like, at least preliminarily, that there's some really good hope for that. So and the then, body would be treating itself. That's what so you're saying. put a gene into your body to make the molecule that we've been injecting, okay? And your body, your eye, because it's really your eye, it's, it's your eye that becomes a factory to make the molecule. Unbelievably exciting. That's incredible. And then the other thing is, is that device that I use in my office, there's going to be a device like that that you can have at home. So you can use home monitoring. So maybe it will be instead of having to come to me to look at you and see if I need to give you another treatment, maybe you just need to check your site and your OCT at home. It sends it to me at my office. You and I look at it together and you don't have to get in the car and come in and have your eyes dilated and spend an hour and a half in my office. That's another advance. That's going to happen within the next two years. Wow. Dr. Murray, that's incredible. So at the Support Site Foundation, you know, lots of times we talk to patients, they say, well, why didn't my doctor tell me about this? Or why didn't my doctor tell me more? And, you know, it's understandable because patients are frustrated they're fearful, they're scared, they're losing their sights, really scary. And so what can be done about connecting the dots for patients and caregivers so that they really understand more about their disease and other resources like the Support Site Foundation? So what's your thought on that? I'm sure you think about this every day about connecting the dots for people. Well, one of the things about MACD is you often get this when you're much older and it becomes much more difficult for you to integrate your heart doctor and your lung doctor and your diabetic doctor, you know, and your kidney doctor and your eye doctor. So I think that having a support network either with your family and friends or even with foundational support like you have, you have to ask your doctor questions. And a lot of people, you know, the do- especially now that we're dealing with patients that are older with MACD, they were very respectful of their doctors. They didn't interrupt. They didn't ask questions. They, they just did what they were told. I don't believe that. I love when my patients do what they're told, but I don't believe you should ever do what you're told without asking why you're doing it and what it means and what the other options are. So I'll tell you, the one thing I'll say is if you have someone that doesn't feel like they understand their disease from their doctor, they need a new doctor. Get a second Agreed. opinion. Yeah, that Go relationship isn't specialist. there. Right. So I think you've got to own your own your own healthcare much more now than ever before. And that's why having something like the Support Site Foundation is so important. You're a resource for them to call when they don't think that they can ask their doctor. And these conversations like what you and I are having today, hopefully that touches a lot of people in a way that empowers them to to say, gosh, I heard Dr. Murray say I should ask questions when I'm with my doctor. Or I heard Sean say, you know, don't don't give up. You have to have hope. Yes. So I I think those are the, the really key things that we're looking for. I think that's great. Thank you so much. So where do people find your new podcast? 
asrs.org forward slash patient. So that's great. So they would go to asrs.org backslash patient. Correct. And Sean, really fun to talk with you. Nice to talk to you. And we plan on promoting your podcast on our show. So Dr. Murray, thank you so much for joining us today. A fascinating conversation and look forward to future conversations down the road. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, doctor. My back to life. My back to life. My back to life. <laughs> Learning to live with MACD is a challenge 365 days a year. So what you have to do is you have to learn how to change the things that you do, why, you already know why, because you can't see as well, and you want to make your life easier, and we're here to help you do that. So the tips that we're going to talk about in our shows, we hope are simple things that you can integrate into your life that are going to make a really big difference. Number one, make what you want to see larger. So that really means magnification. Magnification is your friend when you have macular degeneration. And because MACD is progressive, your magnification is most likely going to change either over time or depending on what you're reading. So here's how it works. And your eye doctor might have told you this stuff, but if, if they did, great. Here's a little refresher. And if they didn't tell you, now you know. Relative distance magnification. So what that means is that what you're looking at is brought closer to the eye. So in other words, sit closer to the TV. I'm sure there are a lot of you out there who do that. You don't have the right magnification, so you sit closer to that 55-inch screen, right? That's called relative distance magnification, where you physically move closer to the object you're trying to see, or you move the object closer to you. Next, relative size magnification. So that's when the object is made larger. I know lots of you have large print books. Maybe you even have large print checks from your bank, which by the way, if you don't, you should order them. It's a great idea. Or you bumped up your game. You went from a 28-inch screen or 27, whatever they make, and now you have the big, grand 72-inch screen. (laughs) So that's relative size magnification. And then the last one I'm going to talk about, and I know it's, you know, I don't want to go too fast here, but it's called angular magnification. It's the thing you're looking at isn't changed in how far it is away from you or you didn't bump up the size of it, okay? But you're putting it like an optical system, it's called, between the object and the eye, and you make it larger with that optical system. That's a fancy word or words for hand magnifier, like the good old-fashioned magnifying glass. Some of you might have a telescope, you know, that you click on your glasses. Or hopefully a lot of you have electronic magnification, like a device, like a CCTV, or a portable electronic magnifier, or a reader, the things that our friends at Vespero talk about. That's your tip for the day. Think about it. Use it make it easier for yourself. You deserve it. Hey, Sean. Hey, Don. It's the Don and Sean Show. 
I thought I was going to start, Sean. <laughs> Go ahead, Don. Okay. Go ahead, by all means. Sean, today, yeah, Don. our assistive technology of folks, the Vespero folks, are going to be talking about a Compact 10. Compact 10, that sounds fascinating. So if you know, what, what, is a, what is a Compact 10 all about? What does it do? Well, here's what I know. And they're going to obviously talk a whole lot more about it. So we're, I'm hoping everyone out there who's listening is going to really, they're really going to want to pay attention to this. because yeah, I'm excited to hear about it. This device is, you know, it's a little bigger than like an iPad, for example, hmm. and it's portable. Wow. It's touchscreen hmm. and it has all the important features like that you need when you have macular degeneration and you want to read or you want to look at your computer, you know, do basic things in your everyday life. Cool. I can't wait to hear more about it. Yep. So listeners, stay tuned. Here we go. Let's learn a little bit more about that product. All right. Well, good afternoon. My name is Bill Kilroy. I'm Vispero's Senior Sales Director for the Northeast, and I'm joined by my colleague, Mike Wood, Strategic Accounts Manager for Education for Vispero. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Mike and I are very pleased to be on the support site podcast, My MacD Life, and we hope to tell you a little bit more about our organization and the types of tools we produce. But before that, let's start with who are we? Vispero is the world's largest assistive technology for the visually impaired. Although we formed back in 2016, our brands that include Freedom Scientific, Enhanced Vision, Optilec, and the Pasiello Group share a long and rich history as industry leaders dating back to the 70s. Our field of specialty is assistive technology. And you might ask yourself, what is assistive technology? Assistive technology is any item, piece of equipment, software program, or product system that is used to increase, maintain, or improve the functional capabilities of a person with disabilities. In our world, for Vispero, that means serving people with our products who are blind or low vision. Throughout this podcast, we hope to highlight key products in our line that can enhance people's lives, and we look forward to speaking with you. So today, we're going to talk about the Compact 10, which is a Optilec product. And this is a really neat product, and it super excites me because it came out at the beginning of this year. And the neat thing with it is it's a 10-inch display, so it's a portable electronic video magnifier and it's a touch screen so for those of you tech savvy people out there that are used to using your cell phones and tablets that are touch uh, accessible this will fit into your needs very nicely it also adds in ocr capability which is optical character recognition uh, which allows you to scan text so you can actually scan in a full eight and a half by 11 inch sheet of paper and this will quickly turn around and read it out loud to you you can save the documents that you scan. But one thing that sets this unit apart is it sits on top of the text that you wanted to read with a nice angled stand. But the thing that sets it apart is the fact that it has a flip out arm. And what that arm allows you to do is actually view an entire page, zoom in and say you need to fill out a document, uh, write a check. You're able to do that underneath this and see it clearly and enlarge it as much as you need. The magnification goes from 0.5 to 22x. And it's a rechargeable battery with four hours continuous use. And I mentioned earlier, it's super portable. This comes in at weighing just over two pounds. So super lightweight. You've got tons of different color selections for different contrasts. And again, once your eyes start to fatigue with, you know, reading on the screen, you can just 
tap a button and have this read it out loud to you. Uh, Bill, you know, what's your input? I know that we were showing this at CSUN, uh, which was in March, right before all the travel bans and stuff. And so it was kind of quiet, but the feedback there was great. What are some of your comments? This is a product that has generated a lot of buzz anywhere from, you know, the staff at Vispero to our channel partners, who are the people out there that typically dispense these products, as well as the end users. I think it is unique and innovative in the sense that here you have this collapsible, almost tablet-like system um, that can, you know, literally go in a backpack very easily or be in a purse, pull it out, open it up. You can read a document. You could also scan that document. And with the innovative arm that telescopes out from the unit with an additional camera, you can actually do a full page scan as well as a live camera view that gives you the ability to look at a document or form and sign that very easily. It's probably if if somebody's going to be need a device where they need the versatility of being able to read, to be able to scan, and then to be able to fill in documents. This is this this is the most versatile device to be able to do that for the user. Uh, so I think everybody's excited about it, and we want to obviously get it in front of as many people as possible. Yeah, you know, the other thing I really like about it is you've got an easy and an advanced mode. So oftentimes, you know, if you're working with uh, someone that maybe is a senior that's not too tech savvy, they can just set it up for the easy mode, which gives them less options to pick on, you know, and, and choose within the product. So, and you can also purchase this with speech options or without. So if you don't need that scanning, uh, there's one of those available as well. Yep. And and this is a product that, you know, in, in the family of compact portable video magnifiers, handheld uh, is traditionally what preceded the 10 is is a is a great product called the Compact 6. Similar user interface, smaller screen, six inches instead of 10 inches, similar battery life and magnification capabilities. And it gives you really something that could fit in a shirt pocket to be able to do the same type of reading and scanning that the 10 would do. The only thing that it doesn't have is the telescoping arm. The, that's a feature that's exclusive to the 10. And so if you want to learn more about it, you're welcome to visit our website at www.vispero. That's V-I-S-P-E-R-O.com. You can also call our customer service team at 1-800-444-4443. Thank you. Okay, welcome back. Now we're going to play a fun little game where Don and I are going to go over a trivia question called Candyman. And what is Candyman? And the Candyman is a trivia question about candy. And Don, I know uh, you probably like candy, right? You're, you're a big candy fan. You, what's your favorite candy? Yeah, I have my favorites. I mean, don't we all love candy? And then, of course, there's the Candyman can. <laughs> what's your favorite? Um, My favorite candy has to be Heath Bar. Oh, a Heath bar. That was my mom's favorite. She loved that. She liked that little man jumping up on your desk doing a little thing with the candy bar. Pretty cool. I don't remember that. (laughs) Yeah, there's a commercial now where there's a little English guard that jumps up on the desk and does a little routine with the Heath bar and hands the guy one. So every time he thinks of a Heath bar, that little guy jumps up on the desk. Pretty hilarious. So Don, let's go ahead and try this one. This candy was invented in 1880. Here's how it was made. And I want to see if you can tell what candy it is. So sugar, corn syrup, and other ingredients were cooked into a slurry in large kettles. Fondant and marshmallow were added to give a smooth texture and bite. The 45 pounds of worm candy was poured into buckets 
that they called runners. Men who are dubbed stringers walk backwards and forwards, pouring the candy into cornstarch trays and printed with a shape. It took three passes to make the white, yellow, and orange colors. So Don, my friend, my host, my co-host, what candy do you think this is? Well, I got to tell you, Sean, I had you at fondant and also at kernel shape because this is one of my favorites. And I consume massive amounts of these occasionally in the season. <laughs> and I'm going to say, and by the way, I think that it's a Pennsylvania-based candy. And I'm going to say candy corn. Bing, 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 bing. That is correct. Here's the other question. Do you eat them whole or do you eat them like one little, like the yellow and then the orange and then the white separately? Well, I'd be curious to know what our listeners, if they raise their hand on each one, you know, but I, and I don't know what it says about who you are, but I actually rotate. <laughs> you rotate. How bold. I, I eat one little section at a time. I can't put the entire candy corner in my mouth. I have to bite off the little yellow, then the, you know, the in order. I don't know why. It just seems like I'm convinced that it tastes better. Well, that's because you're kind of a linear guy. So that makes sense, Sean. But that's a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the story of candy corn. Love it. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. We're really glad you're here. Please come back. May 2021 be joyful, healthful, peaceful, hopeful, and kindful. Yeah, and it's definitely a privilege and a pleasure. And remember, for more information, please go to mymacdlife.org. We have all sorts of resources and info there for patients who have MACD and their families. And remember to join us next time on My MACD Life. This program is empowered by the Support Site Foundation. The Support Site Foundation mission is to save sight for millions of people who suffer from age-related macular degeneration, AMD, and lose their precious vision. As a 501c3 public charity, our goal is to provide patient education and access to low vision resources to help individuals, families, and caregivers whose lives are severely impacted by AMD. We place a high priority on connecting with people, their families, and loved ones who live with the daily struggle of impaired vision. The Support Site Foundation funds innovative research projects conducted by the top scientists in the field who are on a path to discover effective new tools, technology, and treatments for people like you with vision loss. The Support Site Foundation, supportsite.org, S-U-P-P-O-R-T-S-I-G-H-T dot org, or call us at 888-681-8773 and connect with us on social media. Thank you. Thanks for being with us on My Mac D Life, the podcast with a vision to bring hope, optimism, perspective, and education to our listeners. For more information and many great, incredible resources, visit mymacdlife.org. This program is supported by amazing listeners like you. During the season of giving, please consider a donation to keep our mission moving forward. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, keep living with hope.